0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is Thursday, one o'clock Eastern Time. That means we have another session of the MSP Initiative. This time, again, off the road for now for a few days. Just trying to uh, get my sea legs uh, cleared up, and you know, now that we're not moving in a vehicle. Uh, but today we have Josh Lamb from DNS Filter. Josh, how are you doing today, buddy?
1: Pretty good. How are you doing, George?
0: You know, doing all right. It's been uh it's been an interesting week. Just been catching up uh on my I feel like ever filling mailbox. <laughs> uh, where where are you located out of?
1: I'm in Augusta, Georgia.
0: Ah, Old we uh, Georgia last week, you know, Macon and Marietta and Lana. Oh. Not quite Augusta, but hey, you know, can't be everywhere at once.
1: Oh, they're similar. Yeah, they're all friendly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So things are really, you know, we saw kind of with our eyes open, right? Things are really opened up down there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they are actually, they've been, uh, they've been pretty open. I mean, people are still doing masks and stuff like that, but I'd say pretty normal otherwise, like people have returned to a lot of normal stuff. So it's been, uh, it's
0: been good. So do you primarily work remote or did you go into an office before all this stuff kicked off?
1: We're primarily remote. We have a couple offices in DC and Denver. But yeah, for myself and I would say that's for like twenty percent of the company that is like around those offices. Most everybody else is remote already. So yeah, it wasn't really a huge Got adjustment it. for us in the past few months.
0: No, it's good to go. I, I mean I I don't know too much about DNS filter, but we'll we'll get, you know, get into that I guess in a bit. So can, you know, why don't you give, you know, the audience maybe anyone who hasn't met you before or, you know, trying to understand kind of like what's your professional history been? How did you get to today? What's your role is today? But let's like kind of like graduate into that. Where, where did you start and how did you get here?
1: Start way back. Yeah. So I would go way back. I would say in high school, I was part of a business that doesn't even exist anymore, but it was like a small, I guess, kind of the precursor to an MSP. It was primarily a break fix shop. Uh, in Colorado, I grew up in Colorado, and um, started started there. Basically, started as a junior technician, and I've been related to IT. I would say, like my whole professional working history, um, and yeah. So I don't know the MSP space has like continued to just kind of be a part of my life, basically. So I worked on the Geek Squad. I did my my thing at Best Buy. You know as a technician. Wore the. Hey
0: man, there's wore the That's, where the, that's that. where the hard work was. Yes, yeah, that's
1: right. Um, but then, uh, but then, yeah, so when I started at DNS filter, okay. I was really excited I started in the work departments and then the company has just grown tremendously fast. And so, uh, as things have grown, you know, I've grown with it. And so now I'm the marketing director and, uh, I love it. I love, uh, it's too bad with all the events going away, but I, you know, I love like planning the events that we're going to and showing up to them. So, Uh, You know, things like DattoCon, IT Nation, all the other events that we've gone to last year um, where, you know, it's really exciting. So I would say I I can, I'm a very brief person. so I've condensed probably years of everything into, into this, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, really exciting so far.
0: No, fair enough. I mean, so what, what made you choose your current role, your current career, like, or is it always going to be technology for you or just trying to get an idea why, why you picked this job?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um it's ex- it's been exciting with DNS filter because it's in the cybersecurity space. So we've just been I would say right at the heart of a lot of growth that's that's happening and I know you've, you know, obviously seen a lot of that with MSPs being more focused on cybersecurity, um taking more of an advisory role, especially this year um, with their customers and and leading them through that. So it's been really exciting. So DNS filter is the foremost competitor to Cisco Umbrella. So usually when I mention that people know, okay, I know what you guys are and what you do and things like that. So um, we've been able to do more platform support than them, able to um, you know implement AI in, in ways that they haven't. and It's just been really, really exciting to be a part of all that.
0: Fair enough. I mean, so it sounds exciting. I can understand why you chose, you know, kind of why, you know, where you're at and what you're doing. I mean, security is a pretty interesting topic, but let's kind of zoom out a little bit, right? Like why, why is this a problem? Right. I mean, we talk a lot about security, cybersecurity comes up all the time. Um, I'm just trying to understand what the attack vector is and why we care about it in MSP land, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I'd say a lot of it came to the doorstep of MSPs. So for me, this really started, like like really thinking deeply about it, started last year at IT Nation where they had that main stage panel. They had a bunch of NSA guys up there and you're like, man, you guys probably look at all of our private everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all, it was like five NSA guys and, uh, and a couple uh, vendors. And they were saying, look, 2020 is gonna be, it's gonna be MSP security. Like you guys are gonna to have to focus internally on yourselves, and you're gonna to have to focus on your customers in a lot more comprehensive way than you have before. Because the fight's coming to you, you know, ransomware is as a service, phishing is more popular than ever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky because you have to balance not being like fear-based in terms of, of our interaction, but also being realistic that, you know, this fight is coming to MSPs and it's here to stay. And and the thinking has to be more comprehensive than in the past. And I think vendors, you know, like us have had to go, okay, let's let's stop pretending that we are like the be all end all to everything. Let's focus on where we play a piece in the larger picture and, and how can we help MSPs to talk to their customers there's, there's,
0: de- there's definitely a frustration, to, yeah. uh, at least to what I gather, um, where, hey, we keep on buying tools, we keep on installing tools, we keep on layering tools, mm-hmm. and the lowest common denominator in the whole chain is the person who... Is really not computer savvy or doesn't pay attention, and they click on the one link that they shouldn't have, or they click on the ad that they didn't realize is an ad, or they clicked on an attachment in their email that they really didn't think was bad, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, all of those tools fell down, and the yeah. problem still happens. Right, and why? Right, like at that at that at that question, then customers asking, "What's the point of all the security?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the MSP is asking, "Well, are these tools not worth their weight?" So, like. Right. What's what's the point? Explain Explain that. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's kind of where it's fallen thin in recent years was, okay, you just need to buy these tools. And it's more than that. It's a process. Like, you have to educate your users. You have to implement the right tools. You have to reduce your threat vectors, you know, every day. Like, you have to have a plan for, here's what our footprint looks like. And we're making steps to reduce that as time goes on sure and i think just yeah the thinking has been really narrow and really thin um and this year i think it's just it's starting to be okay we need to look at this from a more comprehensive standpoint and when i was thinking about this i I came across a lot of resources that actually like the msp community is not the first community to face like large cybersecurity issues. Of course, you know, the enterprise has faced this for decades. You know, there's people at IBM, people at Microsoft that have are obviously gone through a lot of this before. Uh, government agencies like Department of Energy, Department of Homeland Security, anybody that protects critical infrastructure. Like, Tesla just had, about this for Tesla, a long time.
0: Tesla just was able to buy, you know, I guess yeah. they thwarted an attack recently, and that was last Yeah,
1: week. exactly. So uh, We have CISA.
0: No, no, I get it. I mean, yeah. my, 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 I guess my, my, my concern is, like, to me, going backwards in time for a second, this started off as, like, content, filter, website, traffic, kind of cleaning up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the concept of DNS, like, other than it's always DNS when it's broken, right? Ha ha. But um, the concept of DNS is, hey, you know, I'm going to use that as a mechanism to filter my traffic out. And there's a lot of ways people are mm-hmm. doing that. And then, you know, kind of fast forward to about five, six, seven years ago, it was, hey, we're going to track stuff. We're going to catch stuff in the moment and stop you from getting there, right? Mm-hmm. But hasn't this already been cracked to a degree, Josh? Because like, what what happened when HTTPS, you know, came in and then like, you can't even see the traffic at some point, right?
1: Yeah, there's um, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of flux with protocols right now, for sure, in the DNS space. Um, I'd say we play nicely with the the browser implementations that have come out and and things like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, so DNS is is a frontline component to blocking phishing attacks, things like that, right where you're clicking on the link, rendering it useless, and things like that. But I think you just have to think about it even more comprehensively than just you know, your DNS protection, your antivirus, your firewall, you know, your uh, your phishing program that you're running on your users. And uh, so like a really great example of that is the C2M2 model because they take 10 different security domains and they go, okay, you need to worry about identity. You need to worry about access control. You need to worry about, you know, who has access to what files and BDR. And so, yeah, I guess just my point is you have to think about it very holistically and a lot of the work for that thankfully has already been done by a lot of these you know big guys out there so i think that the challenge and thankfully it's not that difficult because again i think it's already been done is just bringing that into the msp space into the channel and having it make sense for msps in terms of the conversations with their end users because ultimately the end user of an MSP, like you were saying at the beginning, is the person that has to understand this because they're the ones cutting the check to you, the MSP, about how to do it. So I think that's really where the focus is right now as a channel is how do we bring that holistic thinking to an MSP end user that's gonna make sense of that, um, that's gonna be able to reduce their risk and, and, uh, and actually work, like you're saying. it's It's not just throwing stuff at the wall that works it's thinking about it in a holistic way that works.
0: No, I get that. I think part of the problem to some degree, right? And and maturity of your business plays a big part of my response here. But Mm -hmm. part of the problem is like you got the guys, you know, the framework that everybody seems to be leaning into as like the standard to some degree is, you know, anyone working with the federal government space, right? Yeah like that whole framework with the cyber defense, right? And that whole bubble of, you know, that pyramid with the one through five, right? That seems to be it. Um, of course, a lot of the guys who are in MSP land aren't, aren't playing in that world, right? I mean, they're, they're, you know, 100 employees in below is pretty good sweet spot, right? So, like, how does this become a little bit more understandable in terms of, What is the holistic approach, right? Mm Because there's things the MSP has to do, but then there's things the end customer needs to adopt too, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a two-phase process there, but then there's a constant, you know, staying on top of this thing, right? Because technology is constantly shifting, right? Like what Mm -hmm. we're talking about now is going to be different than next year uh, or even next quarter, right? So like where does this process start, right? And how does somebody get into a point where they're actually – digesting something they understand. Right. Cause again, I don't want to hand an 800 page manual to a company that, you know, like that's what we're talking about here. Right. Yeah. I have to pay $25,000 to bring in a consultant to do it either. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of caught in between, yeah, you don't want to pay a million dollars for something. And you also don't have time to read a thousand page manual on, on how to do it. So I know we've tried, we partner with uh Huntress labs and we produce produced like a 14 page white paper on this exact issue, right? Where we take it, okay, you're an MSP and you wanna counsel your customers through increasing their cybersecurity footprint. And, and how do you do that and come alongside that conversation in, in a few you know, types of business scenarios that you would have and make it really realistic and practical. But I think just more resources like that are really what's needed. Because if you can take that thousand pages and distill it into something that makes sense for the channel, to, to talk about and everything like that. And it's, it's also, I want to say, George, it's not something that I think is really scary. Um, the threats so out there are...
0: Here, here's what happens, right? right. Not, not to totally cut you off, but it's scary from a time investment, at least from the window shopper's view, right? They're yeah. like, oh, CMMC? Nah, man. <laughs> I got other fish to fry. And right. then they move on, and you're saying it's not that scary. In In, in reality, it may not be scary to do it, but mm-hmm. the initial decision of do I have time to go through this is where yeah. things ultimately break down. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. That's, I think getting started, right. Taking the first step. That's the hardest thing. But on the other side of it, it's really not that bad. Once you you get through some of this initial thinking about it and there's a lot of opportunity on the other side and you're able to go, okay, you know, here's some processes I can implement for my customers here's some tools I can get and here's the the plan I can get for them to grow in this. And you come alongside as an advisor and a counselor. I think it increases the trust you have with your end customers and, you know, you can generate more revenue from that as well. And you're not doing it in a dishonest way, right? You're implementing things that they need in order to grow, in order to be safe. And so when you're, when you're doing all of this, you're actually helping them out a lot. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity on the other side of it, and and realistically too, it's inevitable that because the fight has now come to the doorstep of the channel, it's you have to deal with it. You can't ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist or anything like that. Like you, you know, you're either gonna face this or not.
0: Um, so, so so let's zoom out for a second. Like you said, you created a 14-page white paper along with Huntress or something, like. Hmm what is that, what does that document do? Is this like the, Hey, this is the checklist of what you're supposed to be talking to your customer or like what, how far does that, you know, boil this down to? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's very practical. Uh, I myself, like I, I don't like to stay in like the theory, you know, realm, like tell me, tell me what steps I got to take. Give me some checklists, make it easy because the whole <laughs> point is let's not, let's not be in this academic realm of of everything like that. So
0: Sure. Uh, so yeah, this have, is. Do you have a link? Do you have a link to this?
1: I do. Yeah, I could um, paste it in the chat here.
0: Yep. That'd be good. I mean, just uh, so people have access to it quickly and they can figure it out. So the other thing that's kind of worth mentioning, and I'll kind of bring it out now, is um, you know, like what where did where does the demarcation point come between trying to protect yourself? And then ultimately protect your customer, right? Because at some point, if there's an issue and your customer's having a problem, well, guess what? They're going to come after you, right? Right. And that seems to be kind of the trend of what we're seeing out there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I know, again, this is kind of big-ish and it maybe not hold to everyone out there that's watching this but like i was reading a, a thing um where the pittsburgh airport was being managed by a managed service provider right they had an outside audit because of their government tie-in mm-hmm. there's all these things that apparently they say were were problems that should have been covered by the msp they turn around this sue the msp right but even right. boiling it back down to a smaller incident right customer gets breached they turn around and they point the gun at their MSP, right? Who hopefully mm-hmm. has limited their liability by their, manage- their their agreement, but it's the first logical place to go, right? I'm paying you, yeah. mm-hmm. right? When is it the end customer taking responsibility and when is it the MSP taking responsibility? Like, how do you cut down on each side of that pyramid?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And I would say I probably don't have an answer to that component of it um, other than to be, you know, very specific in in your agreements and in how you handle it. Because again, there's, you're not responsible for everything as an MSP. Like you can't watch over every end user and what they download and what they, you know, what thumb drive and, you know, stuff they're getting and take, you know, um, you can't. And so you have to be very clear in your agreements. Here's what I'm providing to you and here's why you're paying paying me for this and here's the things that you're responsible to do. And so I think as long as you start that relationship out in a counseling relationship, uh, you know, where, where you very clearly demarcated that, then I, I think that's really what, what you have to do.
0: So does, does you know, not again, not a sales pitch here, but does yeah. the technology that you provide as a company, right? DNS, in the moment, tracking, filtering, blocking, mm-hmm. where does that fall in the overarching security landscape? Does that help me when I go to do my cyber liability insurance re-up? Does that help me, you know, know, in terms of me saying that I've done the check boxes as an MSP to protect my customer with the most, you know, current security practices that are affordable, right? Like how does that help me from an overarching position?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I won't try to sell too much, but uh, we do because DNS is so ubiquitous we are able to block threats that are undetected by other things, right? So it's the very first thing that happens if you go and type in badsite.com. The very first thing that happens from your computer is a DNS request.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So naturally, that's that's the best first line of defense against threats, and that's where I would say we we fit into the picture. But you know, again, there's other components of it, right? I mean, is that user authorized to be using that computer? is that, you You know, so things like I know on the, the last episode, you're talking about SSO, you were talking about, you know, so like principle of least privilege, like there, there's all these other concepts that also come into play, um, you know, around the person accessing something. So I think it's blocking the threat, it's educating users, it's least privilege, it's, edu- you know, it's just, it's just all of these things that come into play.
0: Sure. So, like, from a customer presentation standpoint, how much reporting, you know, can we get in order to present to our customers saying, hey, listen, you know, these are your top users that are the bad actors in terms of they need help, they're going to the bad places, they need more training, like, how much of that type of, you know, the information do I have accessible that I can present to my customer that?
1: On our platform, you have everything. Yeah, especially if you're using a Roman client, so you can see the users and exactly which domains they've been accessing. So that is very useful for user education and sitting down and going, okay, this is, you know, John and Jamie. They're they're both like your two users that keep clicking these links, and you know, they they need some more education. Um, so yeah, tools like that they help they help aid the conversation that you're having with the end user and really help them to see the value. I think MSPs, a lot of the value you provide can be invisible at times because if the backups are humming, you know, the phones are working, every, you know, they start to think, well, why am I paying these guys, you know, this much a month? It's like, well, you're paying me because it's no, all running.
0: We talk about this. Yeah. Constantly, the double-edged sword of MSP, right? right. It's like, If I don't call you and things are working, then do I need you? And if I call you all the time and things are always breaking down, why aren't you doing a good job, right? I mean, there's definitely definitely the balance. So like, does this type of technology, the DNS blocking, filtering, real-time calculating, can that help me in the middle of an attempted ransomware or is that too much to ask for?
1: It can help you because it can prevent you from accessing the domains that have these payloads, have these packages. To begin with and, what and happens- that's because predominantly a lot of attacks come in the door through email through phishing and if you can block that initial action that that makes your life way easier
0: what happens with the guys that and we see it all the time they spin up a new domain you know like water right it's yeah. almost like there's an api that goes to create the domain and yeah. then they use it yeah. for an hour and then they dump it right like yeah. what happens in that situation
1: yeah, well, for us, what happens is we scan the actual content of, of that site. So they're pretty lazy a lot of the times, Fishers, they, they fool humans, but they wouldn't fool AI. And I'll give you an example of that. They can make you, you know, log into a website that's microsurfed.com or something, right? Like an extra O or something like that has the same login box as Microsoft because all they did is basically a copy and paste. But the thing is, while that may fool a human that, you know, didn't have their coffee that morning, didn't, you know, wasn't paying attention, didn't quite look at the details, it won't fool a computer that's going, hey, I know Microsoft's legitimate domains, and this is not one of them. And although this login box is similar, it's not quite the same. Or although this website is similar, it's actually stock imagery, and it's not, you know, it's, it's nonsensical kind of thing.
0: So. Okay. And then, you know, you're saying that this is something that can be, you know, not, you know, not centralized, meaning like I can have a super distributed workforce, a lot of devices all working from home, all working from the road, wherever, and still be able to do this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: What about mobile devices? Does anybody crack that code? The iPhones, Androids?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have um, iPhone and Android and Chromebook, actually. Hmm.
0: I didn't know that. I mean, the mobile devices, like, I feel like everyone's like, oh, this is secure. I don't I don't think it's. Yeah,
1: nah. <laughs> not really. And you guys were burning them up on the road, right? You were oh,
0: yeah. I mean,
1: phones we, all the time.
0: Phones and hotspots, man. Yeah. we, we burned, Surprisingly enough, I was selling in the one session, T-Mobile, on the highway, T-Mobile's rock solid. The second you get off the exit, you may have a different experience, but, you know, what do you get to That's do? That's
1: interesting. Okay, yeah, I didn't know what their coverage was like.
0: Yeah. Like seriously, we're on highway, 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 going city to city. I'm like, why is T Mobile's connection just rock solid? Yeah. at and Verizon, we're having a having a hard time. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's zoom out, right? Customer journey, right? Kind of the the whole title of this, you know, was how do we present a better customer journey when it comes to cybersecurity? So you're an MSP, you're going into a new customer. What are the top five things you're checking on when it comes to this conversation? Like what's the checklist look like?
1: I would say you know, I'm going to say DNS security, right? But password management, uh, DNS security, antivirus, next-gen firewall, and, um, and user education for phishing. So okay. Verizon did a report last year, the reason I keep bringing up phishing, Verizon did a report last year, 92.4% of malware is distributed via email. That is your number one threat vector by far. So that's the entry point you're looking at constantly. So, you know, there's a lot of platforms for that, you you know, should be running campaigns against users where you pretend to be the fisher and, and you get them to do that. You should be rendering the, the link useless through DNS filtering. Um, you should make sure that, you know, implementing second factor authentication and password management, because your users are gonna be using the same thing on their personal bank account or work bank account that they use for their work email. They just are gonna do that. and so you need to also segment that out through technology so that you minimize the damage that you would have when, when one platform is compromised.
0: So it's interesting. Yeah. You took two-factor MFA and password management and kind of put them in the same line item. A lot of people separate those. So yeah. is, does one, can one, do you feel one exists without the other or you really feel that they're tied? Well, they're,
1: yeah, I mean, I can see why people separate them. But the thing is, you know, it tends to be the same type of platform that you'll negotiate how that works. Um, You know, the same vendor, I guess you could say. So that's kind of why I I collapse them. But they'll protect against different things. So like a password manager will give you different variants in your passwords so that if something is attacked, it's siloed only to one service. And then two-factor on top of that means that even if they you know, are able to log into some other platform or whatever that because the password changes, you know, constantly, then then they're not able to get into to anything, so. Okay, fair
0: enough. Um, what, what, you know, how far do you suggest people, you know, actually like go through the computers, mm-hmm. like should you be reformatting computer operating systems on a regular basis just to get a, you know, at a, at a good base point? if a computer's already infected and you put your tools on them, are you already at a disadvantage? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's part of that initial checklist is you got to figure, you know, in what shape, what's the health of these people that you're adopting, right? Not everybody's replacing their computers every time you walk through the door.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't say that it's necessary that you have to go in and just nuke everything um, just because, but at the same time, this is another area where larger businesses have brought things in, right? But the ability to easily reformat and image PCs, but I think MSPs have been doing that for a while as well. So in 2020, you really shouldn't be at a place where that's a difficult process. I and mean, there's so many tools in place to make that very easy to re-image a PC in 20 minutes. So that that's something that shouldn't really slow you down.
0: Fair, fair. But yeah. what about the guys who really don't care, like the endpoint is just a, a terminal, right? The guys who have gone straight, you know, uh, virtual desktop, virtual server, whether it's mm-hmm. Microsoft, whether it's Google, Amazon, I don't care, pick one. Yeah. Um, is there an argument that all of the tools that you would put locally aren't necessary in that environment or is that false?
1: No, that's totally false. Yeah, I mean, you're still going to have to use passwords. You're still going to have to block threads. So, yeah, it's just different. It's just the deployment. Would be different. Okay. But really it's I mean, like you're saying, it's mobile, things like yeah. that. So you're you're probably not even gonna be using a lot of those. Like you're gonna be using on your laptop, you're gonna be using on your phone, you know, locally. So even though something that you're accessing is in the cloud, your your access to something is through the endpoint that you have in front of you.
0: Sure. So like how do you handle the hybrid environment? Like you know you're now you're now you're of this mindset that people are shifting the work home, work home. Mm-hmm. Some stuff they're sometimes they're offline, sometimes they're online, right? Depending mm-hmm. on the scenario. Um, like that used to be the plane before, right? You got on the plane, you don't want to pay for the Wi-Fi, you're offline, then all of a sudden, yeah. you know. So so <laughs> yeah. how does that factor in to the security, you know, journey, right?
1: I mean, I think that's a permanent shift. A lot of businesses aren't going to go back to offices. Forget who it was. Uh, not Apple. Uh, there was a very large enterprise last week that decided they weren't like they paid 80 million dollars to cancel their lease. Wow. Spotify or something. I can't remember exactly who it was. Um. But yeah, they, you know, they they're not gonna have offices anymore, centralized. So that changed for everybody, right? Where it's now it's now distributed. Some people return to work. A good amount of people won't. Like they they will now permanently do that from their work issued laptop at home in coffee shops and things like that so
0: is it reasonable to think that a work-issued laptop on the home network with everything else on the planet including <laughs> PlayStation, xbox Chromebooks, yeah. everything like is it real is it really like how protected are you like is that endpoint have a chance
1: yeah it, it has to it does if you have the right technology in place yeah
0: okay yeah. so i would assume that the the home computer is probably not the right technology
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I think the MSP, on behalf of the end client, still has to have control over that device. Now it's going to look different in many scenarios where it's a distributed workforce now for that company. And you don't have the on-premise relations that you did, but that just pushes everything down to the endpoint now completely. So your backup has to be through that. Um, your, your endpoint security has to be extremely strong.
0: So what do you tell the people? And again, not that I'm trying to advertise somebody else, LifeLocks, all these guys, All right? They're like, oh, you should have VPN on everything. Don't go on public anything without VPN. Is that real? Like, is that, is that something you're recommending?
1: That's something that's going to be different for each scenario. So I'll tell you, we, we make it so that you don't have to because your DNS can still tunnel through us. So that, that protects you from a lot. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's still gonna involve some sort of VPN because they wanna use their cloud desktop to actually do the work, so they're tunneling in to do that. Um, but the issue is that you have to negotiate. I think it's, not, it's more on how much cloud can you handle right now and how much is still tied to your on-premise environment so i think vpns will play a large part in okay we still have all of our infrastructure at the office right now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're not ready to migrate away from that into virtualized desktops and things like that um so we want to you know retain that flexibility you know that capability so we're going to implement a vpn
0: but on the that other side of the thing, not right? like but on the other side, of things right. I'm a, I'm in the airport. I decided to connect to the airport Wi-Fi for some god awful reason, mm-hmm. and you know because it's slow anyway. Yeah. And they're telling you, hey, you know there could be a man in the middle monitoring your traffic, right, going across that mm-hmm. network. You know, is that even a is that even a concern, or is that or is, is encryption, you know, in that traffic already happening, and it's pretty hard to do. I'm just I'm curious.
1: Right. Yeah. So we support DNS over TLS so that you actually can have encrypted DNS through an environment like that where you don't trust the, the immediate environment because it's a public place. So that's you know one way around that. Um, obviously VPNs are another way around that. But yeah, again, I, w- I would really just say it, it depends on what your cloud environment is like. If you're trying to get access to local resources or you're trying to just directly access local resources. So for example, we use G Suite. I don't need to VPN into anything to do that. I just, my computer has full disk encryption and I just directly access that resource. So uh, I think that's really the delineating factor.
0: Okay, good to know. So from an MSP, so we talked a lot about what the end user's questions would be, what you should look at when you're going into the end user. When you're Mm -hmm. talking with the decision maker of the person that you're trying to sell uh, in this case, or the person you're trying to support, Um, what, you know, from a costing standpoint, how much of their IT budget should be you know, security related versus everything else? Is there a percentage?
1: The number that we've agreed with and kind of come across is between five and
0: 10% of the IT expenditure.
1: Of the IT expenditure.
0: Okay. And I'd say 10%
1: is a good, it's a good starting point. The big thing is you have to evaluate, not everybody is the same, so you have to evaluate what their threat footprint is. Mm -hmm. And that just, that depends on the nature of their work and what they access, what data they access. So a small mom and pop, bake shop, and a legal firm is going to be completely different.
0: I agree with that. How, How much, how, like, on top of all your tools, does there any... Like consistent pen testing, is that something that's viable? Or with everyone working remote, does that not even factor now?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And uh, I don't have an answer for that. That's really, that's going to look very different as an industry right now.
0: Okay. So what, what else, what objections do you hear people from the MSP side from the end customer, I'm sure price is one of them, right? They're going to say, Hey, it's not affordable. You know, it's not a problem for me. I'm not going to touch it until I have an issue. Right. What other objections do you constantly get from MSP saying that, you know, their end customers won't invest in security?
1: I think that they just say it's hard. That's one objection that they perceive it to be hard. Like we were talking about earlier. And the second objection is price and uh, And I think the third objection is how do i how do I do this what what's the blueprint here and uh yeah that that's where like you have to make it no here's the thing nobody nobody doesn't know about the attacks right now
0: just watching news
1: no, no yeah like it, it's if you're an end customer right now of of anything like you're not surprised by Barbara Cochran having to pay $400,000 because of a phishing attack that she susceptible you're not people are sort of immune to that now like they but they know so it's not a surprise that you're telling them that this is an issue Um, what's what's hard is saying here's the blueprint for where you need to be and and really making it simple for them to see the value in that and I think we can lose lose sight of that, that you're not just saying, hey, we need to have security or saying, hey, you need to implement X, Y, and Z for these reasons, and it's going to reduce your risk by this much. And that's why this money is worth it. Because just like anything else that you're, you know, any selling relationship that you have, you have to show the value of that product or service that you're giving people. So, you know, explain to them in detail why Why, you know, implementing this password manager is going to mean that now their bank is no longer compromised. You know, their access to their bank is no longer compromised if their, you know, X tool is compromised. Um, Explain to them why implementing DNS security renders this link useless so that they no longer have to rely completely on their user, you know, drinking their coffee that day, being alert and not, you know, clicking on that link. Yeah, so I think if you make it very practical as to what you're counseling them to do and why it matters, that it it changes the conversation.
0: Okay. So what about at the MSPs level, right? So we we know the end customer is always going to be what we're trying to help solve, right? But what does the MSP do to protect themselves so that they're not the actual, in the middle of how they, you know, the bad guy got to the end user then?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Kind of what we were talking about earlier, the MSPs themselves are the focus of a lot of these attacks because the criminal underworld online knows that you have the the janitor's keychain with all the keys on it, and often it can be true that you know the mechanic's car is like in the worst shape and the, <laughs> things like that, right? The the dentist kid's teeth is not the best and you know things like that, so. It's kind of can be true for an MSP that you're not restricting the source IPs accessing your RMM. You're not doing password rotation on your RMM. You're not controlling access potentially in the ways that you should be. And yeah, you should know that you are the, the target for a lot of these attacks because if they can get access to you, they get access through you to everybody that you do business with. So that's a huge component of it.
0: So where, you know, the people who have had issues, right. And I don't have to go very far to find MSPs that have been in the middle of some of these news stories. Was it like, what, what were the things they got caught up on that are just obvious things? Like obviously multi-factor authentication was like straight front and center, mm-hmm. but are there absolutely like, you know, you go, like we said, what's the checklist when you go into the customer to double check, right? What's the checklist that MSP should be double checking. Yeah. Website?
1: Um We wrote a, blog post on this a few months ago. I'll have to send that to you, but there was five key ones. Um, RMM access was obviously the number one, mm-hmm. making sure that that's as restricted from, from where people can access it, who can access it, uh, what they see, what they can download, what they can manipulate is, is huge. Um, that, so that was the number one. And I'll probably have to send you the article for some of the other ones, but yeah, your, your RMM tool is the number one vector okay. and, and for that as an MSP.
0: So I would assume some of the things that then user, you know, things that we check off, they, you know, password mm-hmm. manager, right. I mean, you know, rotating passwords, um, obviously multi, multi-factor. What about, do you, what about the, the machines that all these engineers are using, right? Are they, you know, I, you know, like are they actual machines? Do you suggest people work off of cloud desktop? Is there any difference to you and security in those two scenarios?
1: I would say if you're gonna use a local machine, you should have you should have it lockdown, right? It should be full disk encryption, you should, you know, be very specific in terms of who can access it. Um and yeah, if you're using cloud, you need to restrict access from where
0: people can access into that cloud. hmm Fair. Yeah. Have you, you know, what's your opinion? Because a lot of people, you said email. I didn't realize, that's a great stat you put earlier. Yeah. It's like 90X percent was where yeah. all the malware is coming from. So doesn't isn't there a huge magnifying glass then on Office 365 or Microsoft 365 now? And then Google Apps, like they're the top two. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess there's Zoho and a couple of other guys that are in the mix. But like those are the main yeah. two names, right?
1: Yeah, but it's more that you know, it's more more the emails themselves. So tools on that platform can, can do some of the work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's more about the destination for where that email is trying to get you to go mm. more than, the, than the email itself. So it's implementing tools that can actually sort of move one step ahead of where the user is going to go and deal in that realm versus uh, versus the email content itself. Because often the content of the email itself, there might be some misspellings, there might be some uh, you know, clues that you have, um, but the content itself of the email in a phishing attack is innocuous from a threat standpoint, right? It's where it's getting you to go that's the problem.
0: I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that a lot of the people that are getting hurt from the email side is because somebody has either figured out how to spoof the emails good enough or they've actually gained access to their mailbox in some way and are spoofing other vendors or other customers from their own mailbox and convincing them to send money to a place that's not legitimate, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, and that's like what you were talking about the, the spoofing earlier where somebody can have a couple extra letters, you know, register a domain that's very similar and send something that, you know, a lot of information is accessible, right? I could look up the CEO for a certain company. I know his name. So I could easily purchase a domain that's similar to theirs and pretend to be the CEO of that company. You know, I, I own a new domain and I can do that easily. So, so,
0: so how much, and again, not your category, but we're talking about it from a holistic standpoint. Yeah. How much does the dark web scanning dark web monitoring, part come into this right because not all of this ends up there but a lot of it does right Mm -hmm. so is that is that should that be a part of the picture or is that kind of a little bit fool's gold i'm you know everybody has a different opinion on it
1: (laughs) it's a good question i I think it's useful so the amount of information available is always only going to be a subset of what actually is out there you know like what's posted on dark web monitoring services Uh, and things like that. They have some information, but there's obviously a huge swath of information out there in the world. Um, But I think it is useful as an education tool for your customers. So I wouldn't say it's useless. It is useful. Um, So if there is information on there, it helps, you can help remediate that and go, okay, you need to change these passwords because this information was leaked and it's openly on the internet right now and you need to remediate that. But it's also useful for an education tool. I think that's primarily... Um, a great way to show is kind of a, what do you say, like a show and tell, right? Where you can you can tell your customers like, this is real information about you that's on the dark web. And so let's talk about cybersecurity in general and the types of things that you need to move towards.
0: Sure. Fair enough. So other than fish testing, which you've touched on a lot, and yeah. quite frankly, it probably needs to be done more often. What other ways do you get? Like what other, how do you educate the end customer better for them to not be the, I'm clicking on everything guy? Like, Mm -hmm. is there specific things that you should be doing on a more regular basis? Are there specific tools that you can use? Like, you know, know, of course you can't put a gun Mm -hmm. to everybody's head, but the goal is your chain's only as good as the weakest link, right? So Mm -hmm. what interval, how much, what am I trying to teach these people?
1: So I think fish testing should be pretty constant. Um, there, a lot of studies have shown that the best way to do that is actually not where you segment it out in, like, you know, we're going to do it once per quarter, you know, or once per year, but actually where it's an ongoing program. And the other, the second component to that is that people get immediate feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very important for the human, like, just understanding basically uh, of that is that you click on a fake phishing email. And immediately you get the response, Hey, this was wrong. You shouldn't have clicked on this. Like we got you. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's, that's very important. So it's not like a report in a month or a year or something like that. Cause you forget about it. So for that to be a day to day part of your experience that occasionally you get fished and you see, okay, I, I shouldn't have clicked that. I think it's very important. Um, to be honest with you, I'd, I would actually stop there because I think, that's the most effective tool in terms of education uh, in that area. So there, you know, you could have somebody watch a PowerPoint and and something like that, but is that going to be effective or not? I think that real-time feedback is very effective.
0: No, fair enough. So this, you know, this testing, right? You're sending them the emails and then you click on the link and that message is being prompted in the actual browser, right? Yeah. Okay. Now from an ongoing protection aspect, I assume, you know, again, circling back to the DNS component, cause that's what you're an expert on. Mm-hmm. Is the agent on the machine or is the agent on the browser?
1: The agent is on the machine. We actually do have a Chrome browser extension if you're using a Chromebook. So you, you can do that. Um, but the agent really is, is on the machine or even on the network. So, you know, if you happen to be in an office that, comes back or a certain environment where there is a bunch of people in the on-premise network, that's actually how we started out. So you can set the DNS forwarders at the network level and every machine then that connects to that network is protected. Um, But in this roaming environment and COVID environment and everything like that, we recommend a lot of people do the agent because you can just have it on a PC PC for wherever you go, basically, so
0: fair so you know kind of getting into the home stretch what's the best practical advice right so again theme is security journey right Cybersecurity journey what's the best practical advice maybe top three pieces of information that you would give to any msp right now today trying to make sure that they're on the right the right path mm-hmm.
1: i would say get educated about the models get so you know whether that's nist whether that's CISA's framework, whether that's C2M2, which is the most comprehensive one, get educated about those models. And, you know, whether it's the white paper we did with Huntress or other things that you find, um, you don't, I mean, if you have the time, you could read the 80 page guide for all these, but otherwise just get educated because it is the future and you're either going to be a part of it or not. Like you're either gonna embrace this change that's happening in the MSP ecosystem or you're not, and that would be to your detriment. The second thing I would say is, and the, the first one would help you with this, but think holistically about the tools that you have in your cybersecurity stack. Don't be content with just like we have antivirus and we have this firewall and we, you know, think holistically about which tools you're using and why you're using them, and what the clear benefit is to your customer. And then the third thing I would say is, is uh, user education.
0: Yeah. Okay, no, that's good. So C two M two. I don't know if I come across that one, or at least not by that name. If I Google it, it will come right up.
1: Yeah, you would say C two M two or uh, cybersecurity maturity framework. You'll, you'll come across it.
0: Okay. And then for the people that aren't in the actual live Zoom uh, that are on another stream that we're passing out, the white paper, is that, uh, what's the address to that? I just want to make sure. Yeah,
1: so it's um, you can go to dnsfilter.com to the resources page or you can type in uh, fltr.ai. So it's kind of like a shortened filter.ai, fltr.ai slash MSP initiative. And uh, we'll send that paper over to you.
0: Cool. No, it could be good. I mean, you know, the guys over at Huntress are pretty pretty interesting cats as well. Mm -hmm. Um, where do people find you, Josh? Where do people find your company? How do they get in touch with you? For
1: sure. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to email me, it's just josh at dnsfilter.com and I'd be happy to help anybody here. Um, just if you want some initial steps and the types of thinking we've been doing, uh, we can put you in the right direction.
0: Cool. Well, everyone, I appreciate you for jumping on. It's, an ever-ending cybersecurity conversation. There's like a thousand facets to it, but everybody has a slightly different view. And sometimes you get a little tidbit here or there that you didn't think about before. Definitely check out the white paper. It's probably some good information there. C2M2, I'm going to Google that one. I don't know if I've heard that particular terminology for whatever reason up until now. Uh, Definitely stay in touch uh, online. Again, you can contact Josh or ourselves. We'll be back again on Tuesdays and Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time for another MSP initiative. And uh, Josh, appreciate you for jumping on board and happy for a little bit of thought there. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks, George. All right, guys. See ya.